with me. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 28, if you want to turn there um, this morning. And um, has anybody, have you ever done something and, you know, you realize somebody was watching and you really weren't intending them to be watching you? Has that ever happened um, to you? So I don't dance. I mean, it's not because I'm a Baptist. It's just because I'm bad at it. I just don't dance at all. And so my wife enjoys dancing. And there's a sign in our kitchen that says kitchens are made for dancing. And so my wife and our girls especially will get in there and turn on the music. And and I think that's why the tile is cracked there in the kitchen. But I'll come in and and there's a dance party happening in, in our kitchen. And so every now now and then when everybody else is gone and they're out of the house and there's some music on, yeah, exactly, then I will start getting a little bit of, of, of a move on, I guess, kind of. And uh, it wasn't too long ago that I realized in the middle of a dance that the blinds were open and whoever was walking their dog was getting a really good show. And I had no idea that they were there. So maybe there's been a time in your life where you were uh, at a particular place, maybe looking for a new job, and you had no idea that the person that might be your next boss was there in the room. Or maybe, uh, like us, a few weeks ago, my son plays basketball. He plays for the uh, Albuquerque Homeschool Association, and so we were playing this game. And on our team, we've got a six foot eight. Uh, freshman. And so his name's Sean. And so the coach, I'm going to get myself in trouble here. That's okay. But the coach from Volcano Vista came over and was watching that, that game. And so, you know, coach Brown has been around forever. And his dad was one of the most winningest coaches in all of New Mexico history. And there he was, and he had the chance to go watch Sean, which is a show is a lot of fun to watch. But then he came over and he was asking about our son, Caleb, and just asking some questions about him. He saw something in him that uh, definitely encouraged him and encouraged us. And so here's my whole point in this. Sometimes you have no idea who's there. And in this story today, Jacob had no idea who was there. But I want to talk today about the God who is there. So we're going to jump in Genesis chapter 28, if if you've already turned there with me, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 10. So Genesis chapter 28, verse 10. So Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He reached a certain place and spent the night there because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones from that place. He put it there at his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed. A stairway was set on the ground with its top reaching the sky. And God's angels were going up and down on it. Now the Lord was standing there beside him saying, I am the Lord. The God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac, I will give you and your offspring the land on which you were lying. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out toward the west, the east, the north, and the south, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. Look, I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I didn't know it. He was afraid, and he said, What an awesome place is this. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. 
So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that was near his head and he set it up as a marker. He poured oil on top of it and he named the place Bethel, though previously the place was named Luz. Now, then Jacob made a vow. If God will be with me and watch over me during this journey that I'm making, if he provides me with food to eat and clothing to wear and I will return safely to my father's family, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a marker will be God's house. And I will give to you a tenth of all that you give me. Jacob got caught with someone else in the room. And he didn't even know it. Now, before we jump into this particular story, you got to know a few things about Jacob, which I'm sure most of you know. Number one, he was born grabbing hold of his brother's heel as he was coming out of the womb. His hand was holding on to Esau's heel. Then later he tricked his brother Esau out of his birthright when Esau was just hungry and wanted something. Okay, what's a birthright to me? Just give me some of that green chili stew. Then he deceived his father into blessing him, and he was the second born, and his mom was involved in part of that deception as well. And because of those things, he had to leave the house because his brother wanted to kill him. Now his parents, in fact, Isaac, told him, he said, listen, you've got to leave, but don't go marry one of those Canaanite women. You've got to go marry somebody from our people. And so Jacob, in this story, when we pick it up, is on a journey to his uncle's house. And that's where he's going to go find him a wife. And he's got about 500 miles before him to travel. So the first thing, Jacob is not a model of godliness. So sometimes we come to the scriptures, and especially when we think about the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, you know, even Joseph, and we look at those and we think, man, I could never be like one of those individuals. Let me promise you, most of us are like those individuals. The second thing is the name Jacob, it means deceiver, one who deceives. So he uh, was deceptive to his brother, to his father. And later we're going to see he's going to be deceptive to his father-in-law. And so it's just something that follows him along. And so maybe even in your life, there's just something that you struggle with and you're trying to get past. But remember, Jacob is not a model of godliness. And so we're going to see God showing up in the room, not for a man who is perfect, but to a man who for all intents and purposes, is running away from his family because it's dysfunctional and he just blew things up. And so we look at these first few verses here, verses 10 through 13. God, in the midst of this, shows up. In fact, this word ladder is also related to the word uh, in the Hebrew for a stairway, kind of the idea of, of maybe a ziggurat. You've seen those big, large stairways. So it, may, it probably wasn't a Stanley ladder that, you know, that Jacob is thinking about here. Um, but the angels are starting at the bottom and going up to the top and then coming back down. So that could mean, and theologians are kind of not completely sure, but there's a good point or, or a possibility that this means it could mean that they were taking the needs of man up to God and then ministering on behalf of God back down to the people. And so Jacob gets met by God even in the midst of his deception and is running away and everything that's going on. Listen, God shows up because he is the God who is there. So I don't know where you are or what's going on in your life. I don't know if you have come in here today with some deception behind you or some brokenness in your life or something that's going on. But in all reality, the God who is there is here to meet you today. 
He wants you to know him. He wants you to be in relationship with him. And just as this dream was showing Jacob, listen, all the junk in your life is going to be taken from you up to the Lord. And he will take those things and will come back down and minister to you. He is here even in this place to minister to you today. He's the God who is there. So the very first thing I just want us to see is that God keeps his promises. He is a promise-keeping God. We just sang about that a few moments ago, but God keeps his promises. Listen, God made this initial promise that he's making here in verse 13. Look at it. It says, The Lord was standing there beside him, saying, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your offspring the land on which you are lying. That sounds really familiar, doesn't it? And it should. Because Genesis chapter 12, God gave that promise to Abraham at least a hundred years before this particular uh, situation is taking place. In Genesis 15, he also made that promise to Abraham. And then in Genesis 26, he reiterates that and gives that promise to Isaac. And then here in Genesis 28, he's giving that same promise to Jacob. God keeps his promises. You see, the promise of this land and descendants is important. Jacob has not been living a stellar life. His family, yes, is a bit dysfunctional, but his father and grandfather, at some point, at some way, to some degree, tried to seek the Lord, and now God is showing Jacob, listen, you can seek me as well. I'm here. I can be found by you. Listen, even if your life is a mess today, Even if you're not seeking to be the person that God wants you to be, God still keeps his promises. Everything he said in his word is true, and he stands behind it. He will even honor the prayers of your parents or your grandparents that they prayed for you. But I remember being in high school, and there was a lady that was in our church. Her name was Pat DeMary, and I was a wreck. I was a mess in high school. I remember she caught me in the parking lot one day, and she said, Scott Wilson, I want you to know I'm praying for you. And I said, well, stop. (laughs) Cut it out. Don't do that. (laughs) Listen, God keeps his promises. He is a covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God. And he had made a promise to Abraham and to Isaac. And he is continuing to move that promise to Jacob because he keeps his promises. Even if you are not completely following him right now, he keeps his promises when you don't. And so it's interesting, in Genesis chapter 27, verse 20, when Jacob is talking to his dad, Isaac said to his son, hey, how did you find it so quickly, my son? This is in the middle of deception, remember, when he's brought the game in and he's feeding his dad to try to trick him out of getting the blessing. And here's what Jacob said. He replied, because the Lord, your God, made it happen for me. So some of you in this room... The Lord Jesus is not your Lord. He is not your God. He's not yours personally. Maybe you're here and your grandmother or your grandpa or someone else in your life, they followed the Lord and sought him and the Lord God is not your Lord. Listen, I want you to understand, God is pursuing you. He is the God who is there. He's the God who is here and he keeps his promises. 
And so Jacob is having a personal experience with God. And it's interesting because probably this is even in the person of Jesus. And that's probably who is standing up there at the top of the ladder. Jesus incarnate as this uh, anthropomorphic uh, viewing as he is showing, listen, Problems of the world come up to me. I take them on myself, and then I uh, return with grace and salvation. We don't know that for sure, but that's what a lot of theologians would say. But God keeps his promises. The second thing, though, is God's focus is bigger than you. It's bigger than me. In verse 14, here's what it says. Your offspring will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out toward the west and east and north and south. And then listen to this. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. So it's not just about Jacob in this situation. It's about all the people on the earth. God's focus is bigger than you. It's bigger than me. The offspring means two things. Number one, it means that he's going to have lots of descendants and grandchildren. And we see even in Exodus later, chapter 3, chapter 4, the new Pharaoh gets worried because the Israelites have now outnumbered those that are there in Egypt. And so we see God is keeping his promise. The Israelites are flourishing as a people. The second thing, though, is through the line of their, his grandchildren, there's one particular offspring, and I want to show you, I believe that that offspring is Jesus. Keep your finger here in Genesis 28 and go to Galatians uh, chapter 3 with me just for a moment. Because Paul is going to, just in the midst of talking about uh, the gospel, talking about religion and a number of things, he's actually going to reference the offspring that this passage and several others are talking about. So in Galatians chapter 3, 16, here's what it says. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say and to seeds, plural, as though referring to many, but referring to one and to your seed who is Christ. Man, that's significant. Because what God is saying here is, listen, Jacob, You can't mess this up. It's bigger than you. Even as much as you're trying to follow me, even as much as you're messing it up with your deception and dysfunction and all those things, I'm still going to get done what I want to do in the world. And someday, one of your descendants is going to be Jesus and all the world, all the families of the earth are going to be blessed because of his one act at the cross. And you can't mess that up. God's focus is bigger than you. It's bigger than me. God's concerned with the whole world that all the families of the world will be blessed through Abraham's family, Abraham's family, and that includes Jacob. So Walt Disney had a really big plan, really big dream. As most of you, most of us, would believe that the one focus of going to Disney World or Disneyland is what? Happiness, right? It's about me. So I can be happy and not have to pick up litter or look at litter. The rides are going to be clean. Mickey's going to be hanging out. And you think it's great until you're about 30 minutes into the park and your kids are whining and complaining and they're hungry and it takes too long and the lines are long. And then you're like, I thought this was the happiest place on earth. Well, one thing that's interesting is after Disney World, Disneyland was built, Walt Disney decided that he was going to do Disney World, and so he purchased this property there in Florida. And he had this dream and this vision for some, what some would consider to be a socialist type of city, and that was going to be what's called Epcot. 
and it was going to have a bubble over it, and people were going to work specifically specific jobs. They were going to walk mostly in the bubble. Later, they could drive their cars away from the bubble and go, but he wanted to create this space where the transportation was perfect and the flora and fauna was perfect and everything was perfect inside of this bubble. And he had this plan. And you know what? I love Epcot Center because I can go to like France and England and Germany and China and Japan all in one afternoon, but... It's not that perfect thing that Walt Disney had set up. And I promise you this, God, his plan never fails. He's got a plan for your life. He wants to bless and help a lot of people through you. His focus is not just on you or me, how tough our life is, how imperfect our family might be, how bad our choices are, or what type of job we need to get or not get, or what our health is. He can work through all of those things because his focus is bigger than you or me. Look at what God is able to to do. Look at verse 15. In the midst of this promise, in this dream that Jacob is having, the Lord speaks to him and he says, Look, I'm with you and will watch over you wherever you go and I will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I've done what I have promised you. God promises some big things here. Number one, he promises he's going to be with us. He gives us his presence in the midst of whatever circumstance we find ourselves in. His presence is there. Sometimes that's all we've got. But when we're going through something with somebody else, especially if it's the God of the universe, it's a little bit more palatable, at least knowing that somebody is there with us. The second thing is he says, I will keep you or I will watch over you. He is all powerful and he's able to keep us through whatever we're going through. He says, I will bring you back. So he's leaving 500 miles to go find a wife and then he's got to come back and he's concerned about getting back to this land and his people and God says, hey, listen, it's not a problem. I'll get you back here. I know it's 500 miles there, 500 miles back. I mean, have you ever prayed, Lord, please, I'm not sure the car can make it all the way to uh, Albuquerque, but if you will just help me get there and help me get back, then things will, and the Lord is promising him, listen, I'm going to bring you back. He's sovereign because he's got a plan. And this other thing, he says, I'll not leave you. He's faithful to the end. He's always faithful. And then he says, I'll not do these things until I've done what I promised you which is to continue to grow the family and to allow him to have children and to give descendants so that the promised seed, Jesus, can someday come. How many of you have ever taken back an item to Walmart with or without a receipt? I mean, that's kind of the, that's been the, the way to do that, right? I mean, something, hey, I think I really only need this item for about two days. So I'm going to go to Walmart. And I'm going to buy it. And then I know on the third day, I'm going to take it back. And you go there and there's, you know, a service desk and there's carts full of stuff that's been brought back for whatever reason, because that's their policy. So L.L. Bean, any any L.L. Bean purchasers here? So L.L. Bean, oh, I see that hand, excited. So uh, most, uh, well, L.L. Bean, if you ever bought anything from them, that they're, they had this promise, a guarantee for a long time. And it's, you know, outdoor type clothes, boots and hiking stuff and just outdoorsy type clothes. 
So anyway, they had this promise that if you would buy something from them, if it was ever defective for the life of that article, you could send it back to them and they will replace it. But we just don't live in the world that we used to because last year, L.L. Bean had to do away with that and now those items are only good for one year. And you, within that year, you can return it or take it back. And there was a firestorm online uh, uh, among the people who love L.L. Bean because of that very thing. Because we like people to keep their promises. We like guarantees in life. And here's the interesting thing, is God's promises are always true, and he will never change his policy. Amen. You don't ever have to wonder, well, is God really going to be with me today? I don't know. He said that yesterday. I hope he is. You know, is God really going to never leave me? Is he going to be faithful? I sure hope so. Maybe that runs out after a year. You know, maybe the warranty just, you know, the dryer is going to go kaput here soon. God, where, where are you? But his promises are always true. He'll never change his policy. But look, we've got to look for his presence in the midst of all of this. Verse 16 says this. After the dream Jacob awakes. He said, surely the Lord is in this place. And I didn't know it. I didn't know it. Then he was afraid. He said, what an awesome place this is. It's none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. He uses the, the Hebrew word for Lord that sometimes we translate Jehovah or Yahweh. It's the word that's used here. It's the word that was used when uh, uh, later we're going to find out that uh, uh, Moses says, well, who am I supposed to tell him sends me? And he says, Yahweh, the Lord. This is the same name. It's a very personal name. It means the God who exists. And you know what? He didn't even know that God was there until he revealed himself to him. Have you ever been in one of those situations? God, where are you? And then all of a sudden you realize, man, he was there the whole time. The, the Lord was there. We just didn't see it. We missed his presence. Jacob, for some reason in his life, even though Abraham was his grandfather and Isaac was his father, and these men who sought in their best way to seek the Lord and follow him At this point, Jacob was so focused on himself and what he could get through his deception, he missed that God was even there. Probably because he wasn't ever even looking for the Lord. Have you ever looked for something and then you realized it was right there? Okay, moms or or dads, either one, you know, kid comes in and kind of like, I can't find the eggs. Like, oh, really? And you open up the door. And there's the eggs right there. It's like, you know, and then we say, well, if it was a snake, it would have bit you, you know, or whatever the case is. And so, you know, but have you ever been looking for something? And I mean, you looked for it and you had no idea where that thing was. In fact, you brought other people to come in and look. And then you went, I don't know, walking right by the table. And it's kind of like, you're kidding me. It's right there. It's right there. Because listen. Sometimes that's the exact same way that we treat the Lord. He is a God who is there. He's there. And so, yes, it's natural for us as humans if something difficult's going on in our lives. God, where are you? How could this happen? And I promise you, 
He is the God who is there, even in the midst of whatever circumstance that you or I find ourselves in. He's all around. He's doing things. Sometimes he's trying to get our attention. He may use dreams or other means. He may use brokenness. He may use a relationship. He may use his word. He may use a broken down car. He may use whatever he wants to, but he wants you to see that he's working and what he's doing to show you how he wants to be involved in your life. And that he wants you to be a part of who he is. And not, not just that, but he wants to use you to bless other people in the world. Remember, that was the promise. That was the blessing to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I'm going to n- make your people numerous. I'm going to give you this land. Why? So that you can be a blessing to all the people on the earth. It's not about you. It's not about me. But we've got to be looking for his presence. The last thing is we've got to respond with obedience. Look at verse 18. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that was near his head and set it up as a marker. He poured oil on top of it, named the place Bethel, though previously the place was named Luz. So Jacob puts up a reminder of that special place. We have to respond with obedience when God shows up. We have to respond with, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do now in the midst of the situation that I've realized that you are here? And so he appeared to him in a dream and said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to allow you to go up and find a wife and come back. Why? Because we've got to continue the seed through you. So he's going to keep his promise, but we've got to respond with obedience. So Jacob puts up a reminder of that special place and oil in the Bible is is, uh, signifies the presence of God. And so, you know, here he was out there with the coyotes and the tumbleweeds no one else around. The only thing he had was a rock to pull up and put his head on. Man, I mean, talking about be a rock bottom. And then he realizes God was there. He gets fearful going, uh-oh. And I got a universe. The holy God that we just sang about a few minutes ago, he showed up and here he is. And so he knows that God's doing something special in this place. So he dedicates that and sets it apart by pouring oil on that rock. He says, okay, um, this was my pillow, but now it is a pillar. And I'm going to take this and pour oil on it because I want everybody to go, what in the world happened here, man? God showed up. God showed up right here. That's why it's so important for us to tell other people about what God does in our lives and allow them to hear. Um, last week, I went to Fort Stanton, New Mexico, and, and I toured the, uh, some of you guys, the history bus in the room, and I tour, toured Fort Stanton, had never been to that one yet, and, and so I was walking through, and at some point over the course of the history of that um, complex, there was an organization that went in there and started knocking out walls because they were going to kind of renovate and do some new things with some of these buildings that were built in like 1855. And carved into one of those beams were three initials. And I have no idea who that person was, but here I was in the year 2019 seeing something that somebody in 1855 had carved into that wood. And I thought, wow, this is a really neat moment. Maybe you've gone to El Moro and you've seen the initials of even the Spaniards coming through hundreds of years ago when they carved initials into the rock. It's still there and they wanted people to know, hey, there was a puddle of water here and we stopped to get some water on this trail as we were heading north or heading south. And so there's, it's memorialized as a place. And so Jacob experiences God in this place and he names it, listen, 
Bethel, the house of God. He had a pillow, and he said, this is God's house. God showed up in this place. And so it was interesting because during that time, a lot of other countries around them believed in regional deities so that there would be a God over there, God over there, God over there, but that God never traveled and went to other places. And Jacob realized in that moment, he is going to be with me all of these 500 miles as I go and come back. Bethel, house of God. When you have a real experience with the Lord, man, you need to take a spiritual selfie and get a picture of that and say, God is right here. He's here in this moment. And you need to remind yourself and let everyone else know that God still met you there. Now, Jacob's still a little bit kind of messed up here in this last verse. He says, in, if I, uh, he makes a vow. If God will be with me and watch over me during this journey I'm making, if he provides me with food to eat and clothing to wear, and if I return safely to my father's family, then the Lord will be my God. Now, some people would say that that's a pretty rash vow, and it's, it's Jacob kind of testing God and saying, all right, so you showed up, but I'm going to put you to the test. On this journey for 500 miles, if I get there and get back, then I'll let you be my God. And there might be something to that. There's other uh, theologians who would say, you know what, that's not exactly what's going on here. In fact, this is Hebrew, but in the Greek, sometimes when you use the word if, it can be translated since. And so it's a different condition. So it's kind of like, okay, God, since you're going to be with me, since you're going to be doing these things and bringing me back, then you will be my God. And so I think it's probably somewhere in the middle where Jacob is saying, okay, you know what, God showed up. This is a holy moment. I'm pouring out this oil to him. I know that that he can be with me. I still have a few doubts, but God, I believe you can do this. And you know what? If you will, you will be my God. In fact, you're my God now, but you know what? I will be convinced forever and it will be confirmed to me if I see you do this. So it's not a total lack of faith or just a, an aberrant vow where it just doesn't make any sense. I don't think that that's what's going on here. But listen, here's the thing. Some of you guys in this room today are kind of like, you know, I'm just not sure that I can trust that God. I'm not really sure that he's really that promise-keeping God. I'm not really sure that he will be with me where I go and bring me back to this place and that he will keep promises like he's saying he did to uh, Jacob. That's understandable. But God is gracious. He's worthy. We have his word. Jacob did not have this when he was there in that morning, and he poured out the oil. Otherwise, he would have been able to read the faithfulness of God throughout the years to see how faithful he was as a covenant-keeping God. So here's my question as we just wrap up this morning. Where will you experience God this year? So I know Pastor Stephen has some uh, expectations and some things that he would love to see for your church to do. And, and as a pastor, I know that he knows many things that are going on in your lives personally, and he would love to see the Lord just work in your life and even grow you closer to him and, 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 and even more where you're pouring out to other people. And I know he wants to see. So here's my question. Where will you experience him this year? Because you have to, remember, look for his presence, and you've got to see where he's working and where he is moving and what he's doing. 
So I want to take just a, a moment of, of, of privilege just to share a story with you about one way that God showed up in my life in the last year. So a little over a year ago, I took a DNA ancestry uh, test. And it's kind of like, okay, some of you guys know, I'm adopted. And I had no idea. Amber and I have talked quite a bit about this. And I had no idea who any of my family members were. I knew I was related to three people on the planet. And those were my three kiddos by blood. And so it's kind of like, okay, this is cool. I just like to know who the rest of my tribe is. I just like to know, where did I get this nose? Why do my ears stick out? You know, do I need to stop eating this food, you know, so I don't have a heart attack at, you know, 50 or, you know, what, what is, I, I, there's some things I just wanted to know. And so I took this and within just a few months, a year ago in December, I started getting hits and my wife and I started doing the uh, family tree and we figured out, oh my goodness, this is my half-sister that means this is probably my brother. And you know what? That means that this is my dad. And that means that that is my aunt. And that means that I have a cousin that is living in Albuquerque, New Mexico. That is crazy. And guys, I want to embarrass them. But my cousin, Debbie, and her husband, Albert, are in this room today. It's a very exciting thing for me. Just to kind of be like, Wow. I had no idea I had somebody that I was related to in Albuquerque. I had two other um, cousins as well that I was related to. So I got to go out, and then in in, uh, January of last year, I was on a business trip, and I went out to uh, Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and I got to meet my biological father for the very first time. And a half-brother, and then I got to meet a half-sister and another half-brother. I was kind of like, whoa, okay, this is a big family here. There's a lot of people in in this family and that was just so exciting to me because I was getting to meet them and know them and, 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 and learn just where I got some things from and just family history. And I was overwhelmed that God would allow me to have the opportunity to meet these people. And it's been a wonderful experience. I've had an opportunity to just really be encouraged because I had no idea if I reached out, if the family would be like, you know what, we don't want anything to do with you, so don't call us again. And that's been the complete opposite experience for me. Well, um, I was in Atlanta for that business trip. I had driven down to Tuscaloosa, met a number of my family, came back to Atlanta. And so far, I didn't know who my mom's side of the family was. And that's uh, been important to me um, as well. And so uh, there I was kind of in the middle of this business meeting. My wife sends me a text and she says, you need to call me. You're not going to want to leave Atlanta. I'm like, well, you can't send me that in the middle of a business meeting. <laughs> so as soon as the business meeting's over, I run out to the car and get in the car. And she's kind of like, um, I found your mom. I said, what? She said, I found your mom. And she goes, but do you want to know the truth? And I said, well, that makes it sound like there's something negative. But yes, go ahead and tell me. And she said, your mom passed away a few years ago, but she's buried an hour and a half from where you're at right now. And she goes, I'm pretty sure you're going to want to drive out there, aren't you? And I said, well, yeah. 
bus was to leave that afternoon at 3 o'clock, and I wish I could give you all the details, but I, in my rental car, headed south towards the airport, not knowing if I could switch my flight. I got on, and they said, yes, you can switch your flight. That'll be about $400, and I was kind of like, done, go ahead and do it. Extended the rental car, and all those things happened within an eighth of a mile of when I needed to take the turn to head out east to go in this direction. So I headed out east to go out there to a place called Warrington, Georgia. I get out to that area, and um, I go to my mom's grave. The Lord shows up. I'm just bawling and weeping and just kind of like, okay, well, at least I know where this part of things terminated. But here's my thing. I wanted to know if my father knew the Lord and if my mom knew the Lord. While I was in Tuscaloosa, I had the opportunity to get down on a knee and look my dad in the eyes and say, I just need to know, do you know Jesus? And after about 15 minutes of me explaining, he said, you know, yeah, I think I know. I think I know him deep down inside. And I said, okay. Well, here I was at my mom's grave, not knowing whether she knew or believed or anything. I left there, and I went into this little town called Warrington, and I went to the First Baptist Church because I heard that she had been involved in that little church. And there was a lady outside, and I'm taking pictures of the building, and she comes out, and she's kind of like, can I help you? You know, and I'm sure it looked really strange. I said, ma'am, I don't even know where to start, but this is kind of the story. And she said, I need you to come inside this building. I said, okay. So I go inside the building. She goes into the gym, and on the wall is a picture, and it's that picture on the right-hand side. And I, asked, I had asked her, I said, I just need to know if my mom knew the Lord. And she said, honey, your mom painted that picture. I'm pretty sure that she knew the Lord. And I just wanted to say, Bethel, house of God. Lord, you are the God who is there. So I don't know what's going on in your life or where you need to see or experience the presence of God, but I believe that scripture is very clear that God shows up even when we're not at our best, especially when we need him at our worst and in our difficulties, and he is the God who is there. Do you know that God? Jacob was wrestling and trying to figure out who he was and trying to understand who God was. At one point, he said, that's your God, Dad. And now here in this moment, he says, this is the Lord. He was in this place, and you will be my God. Is the Lord your God? Have you received Jesus on your behalf for your sins and for your brokenness and for everything that's going on in your life? Because if not, you're going to have the opportunity to here in just a moment. Let's pray.